You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm so excited to be here this week. Kirk, I I get to start us off this week. Uh, And Kirk, I believe I actually texted you when I found out about my topic this week. Uh, it was Ooh, one of those, you? I did. It was one of those moments where I immediately, I think I texted our group chat actually. Oh, where, I see. I thought you were saying you texted me what the topic was. I'm oh, like, I absolutely not. You not. did. I, I got a text from you that you were like, I just found the topic. <laughs> exactly. And boy, howdy. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay. Lots of excitement. So uh, Kirk, tell me as a naturalist, what do you know about lakes and rivers? How much time you got? That's very fair. I, I know it's a weird question, <laughs> what a, right? What a question. <laughs> right? What a question. Because yeah, I mean, you and I, we live in the land of over 10,000 lakes. Uh, we have a correct. major river that flows through the entirety of our most of our state. Several. Yeah. yeah. So we truly teach about lakes and rivers all the time, all year round. Yep. But but what do you yeah, what do you know? Walk what on are the some lake of the, in the basics? Winter, drill holes through it, do all kinds exactly. of stuff. Exactly. What are some basics that you know about lakes and rivers, Kirk? Oh my gosh. Um they are bodies of water. Mhm. One is uh, generally considered to be self-contained, mm-hmm. uh, being the lake, although they can have, you know, inflows and outflows. Rivers often will connect up to the lakes, and right. rivers are a body of water that's more of a a linear flowage, you know, mm-hmm. draining a, a watershed. Uh, often uh-huh. the, the, the river may start at a lake and drain the lake uh, to faraway locations. Right. How's that? Fabulous. Now, do you know where you find oh, lakes and rivers, Kirk? Where do you find those? <laughs> On Earth, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> All right. On All the right. ground? Oh, on the ground, um, I, you say. My, my first instinct, actually, when you asked that question, was to say in low spots, mm. right? Good. But low Good. spots is, of course, relative. You can have what are called hanging lakes, mm-hmm. which are lakes that are perched up above a much higher level than the surrounding water. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, any sort of shallow, shallow bowl that can fill with water uh, where it doesn't easily and quickly drain out, you can get a lake. So it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be the lowest spot in an area. Uh, but Mm. generally, you know, depressions, I would say. All right. All right. Now, what if I were to tell you, Kirk, that while everything (laughs) everything that you just said is true and very valid, right? lakes and rivers also can be found underneath the ocean, SpongeBob style. Hmm. Okay. Um... Is this like a, 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 depend how you define, I mean, there definitely are, uh, there are rivers that flow uh, in terms of like mm-hmm. currents and things under the water, but I, yeah. are, are you talking about fre- like a freshwater river in the saltwater ocean? No, no, I am not. Okay. I'm talking okay. about like a legit, like little, 
there are lakes and there are rivers underneath the ocean at the seafloor. That's not the first thing that would have come to mind. Right? Uh, right. Obviously, it wasn't. So what do you... It's wild. I'm, I'm curious if this is sort of like a pedantry type thing where like we're, we call it a lake and a river, but it's something different, or if it's something even more mind-blowing. So um, um, blow A little bit, minds. but it also like blew my mind. So biggest okay, cool. question, how does this work, right? Because it's underneath the water. Yeah, yeah. It's underneath the ocean. So there's already lots of water. water and water. How do it's you make water and water, yeah. and it looks like sponge bob style like an actual lit river with its own bounds and everything so we're gonna break it down makes no sense makes absolutely no sense it comes down unless to unless this involves melting glacial water Ooh, sometimes so okay, okay it does come down to the geography and the composition of the sea floor mm -hmm. this often occurs uh where major rivers exit land and go into, okay, and into the, the ocean. ocean. Uh, that is yeah. part of it as well. But most of it is at the sea floor, underneath all of the sand that's there and the sediment on the top of oh. the sea floor. There are layers of so salt. subterranean sort of. Yeah. So underneath that mm, layer, okay. the layers of like sand in the sea floor is la thick layers of salt, and water, seawater actually seeps up through those layers of salt and as they're seeping up through the layers of salt they actually are dissolving some of that salt becoming okay making it have a saltier content than the seawater above it which makes sure, it okay. denser because it has yeah. more salt in the composition so that water is denser than the surrounding water oh say so this is very different than where you were saying like water from the a, a river is going in. This is, or is, is this water that is under this layer originally came from like where rivers were coming in? Or um, two I totally will explain that. Things? There's, there's two kind okay. of related effects for it. So but basically the idea is we have sort of super salty water. That's not really mixing with the regular salt water. In exactly. The because it, it's okay, denser. I'm with you. So it settles yeah, yeah. then in low spots on the seafloor. And eventually it does form like a river or a sea or a lake with its own like boundaries. A hyper saline lake. Exactly. But it's just underneath the water. Cool. A lot of the time yeah. it also will mix up with the sediment and silt, which actually gets uh, in the river, underwater rivers case, it actually mix up with the sediment and silt and carries that along its path, which is really important huh. because a lot of animals actually depend on the nutrients that get flow that flow along those river paths it's wild oh, for sure for sure um but because it is denser than the water above it and it's in the lowest part of the seafloor it causes that lake or river to have its own shoreline it even have they even have their own wave patterns uh, okay, that are like separate water waves uh-huh that are separate from <laughs> the water above it. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, this is cool. It's so cool. So there's a variety of ample... Uh, there are ample examples of this phenomenon happening. Um, one example that's huge is the Monterey Canyon. We didn't okay, know about yeah. this until like the 1980s. 
it, but the thing is, it's two miles below the surface of the Pacific. So it's off the coast of California. Oof, and this particular canyon has a silty sediment saltwater river flowing through it. And it flows about 200 miles. Okay. Uh, but there are other rivers that have been documented that we're still finding and exploring that are thousands of miles long. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I suppose uh, it's not yeah. as easy as finding a river on land because you can't oh, just look absolutely and go, oh, there not. it is. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. We didn't even know they existed until the 1980s when scientists started to map the seafloor. Uh, they were using sonar cool. at the time. So we didn't even know until the 1980s. And in fact, I don't know if you know about this. You feel like a type of person who would know about this. There's actually <laughs> estimations that... Uh, so Greenland had like the cabling system for something. I think the electrics or something in 1929. Something took it out. And scientists okay. now think it was probably an underwater river that took out the sea cabling. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, Yeah. Uh, and like I said, it, these are important because like above ground rivers, they carry the sediment nutrients often from river deltas like the Amazon or Mississippi. So oftentimes those are like the starting places and they'll continue on in little canyons and everything um, because sure. underwater rivers, while they do have that uh, in some ways, shapes and forms, they do have that seepage with the denser salt water. It also does mm-hmm. occur where fresh water and seawater combine or like where they meet okay because the fresh water is less dense than the salt water so it does cause yeah, sure. that See, to I, happen I think that's well. part of what i had heard before was mm-hmm. that you know rivers can continue out of ways mm-hmm. you know it's really this reminds me of the story that i did uh quite a ways back about the the life that has been discovered under the uh, ice shelves exactly in and they found that one of the things you have to have is currents that mm-hmm. are bringing nutrients in. Uh, and so I can imagine if you, and that was just like sort of just general currents, but if you have an area with a, a strong nutrient-rich current, that's just going to attract all kinds of wildlife. And Oh, it does. That, there's a, a lot of life that can't, they're basically filter feeders where they can't go out and seek out their own right. you know, food. They, they found they so many muscle by, colonies. So. Yeah, there's yeah, so many that. muscle colonies along these types of rivers. So cool. it's super cool. Not only that, but these rivers that I've just described to you, they don't always flow. Sometimes oh. they stop. Okay. Uh, they stop and start. Is that start. problematic? It can be, but it's usually okay. Uh, but it makes it very hard for scientists to study them. Uh, sure. I so what imagine. I was seeing was it takes an event like something like an earth quake or like an avalanche it's similar to that type of event to get the sediment and water flowing and once that happens it can flow for weeks months years and then just stop after the momentum goes away um so that makes it really hard for scientists to study but those who have been studying this phenomenon so (laughs) The scientists who have been studying this phenomenon truly have 
had a hard time trying to figure out from the one from the fact that they start and stop and all, finding the locations of these rivers. But that's not the only thing they have to deal with. They've actually lost equipment <laughs> because uh, there's like, that much of a current. There's that much of a current. Like there was wow. one piece of equipment. This happened to them twice, actually. Uh, some scientists had a piece of equipment it was a rov and it was a fixed placement so it was attached to a, a tripod operated vehicle yeah uh that was attached gotcha. to like a tripod to study uh the current and the turbidity oh, that's not of the river <laughs> well the they thought it would because the tripod that it was attached to weighed uh imperial ton which i believe is a thousand pounds right whoa yeah okay yeah, so uh, they I attached was, uh, it there. And here's the thing. Oh. The, this was a small flow, and it was clocked at 12 miles an hour, and it took this device three miles from where they put it. Wow. <laughs> they found it and buried it under ton. mud, <laughs> and it weighed a ton. And not only that, but like it, it was like bent out of shape, and parts of it had been ground oh down and everything. They actually That's lost amazing. another. Isn't it a crazy? And not only that, Absolutely. but they also found they this happened to them again, same type of setup, and they found it four miles from where they set it. So this oh man, is crazy strong for a river. Like you say, tw I said twelve miles an hour, but. That doesn't give justice that's for how powerful. That's, that, but that's pretty. That's pretty fast. I can't yeah. walk that fast even. I can't either. But yeah. So these are like strong currents underneath the ocean, and we can't even tell that they're happening by looking at the surface. It's wow. wild, and we truly don't have barely scratched the surface of right? these of this oh, phenomenon. Gosh. <laughs> was that was that a pun, Rachel? That was it, awful. It I do have, have a question pun. for you, though. <laughs> yeah, you said something earlier that uh, we sort of skimmed over, but I, mm -hmm. in some, I'm sure some listeners might be going, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." You said that rivers come in. You said it sounded like you said that fresh water is denser than salt water, but mm -hmm. salt water is denser than fresh water. So how is fresh water getting down to the bottom of the ocean and uh, causing? It's not, but rivers. Ah. That is not what I meant. Salt water is very okay. much uh, denser than fresh water, but because the fresh okay, water is flowing above it, it creates like a separation between the fresh water and the salt water underneath the salt, the fresh water. If that makes sense. So there's nope. the salt water. There's yep. a barrier where like. They aren't mixing at all, and then on top of it mm -hmm. is the fresh water, and the salt water will but flow that... separately from the fresh water. Okay, but does that somehow drive a current for like the 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 river no. underground, the under under the water? It does not, but it does oh, bring okay. in some of the uh, sediment. Oh, it's just like for that. the nutrients. A lot of it okay. is the nutrients and stuff, and that's I just where it, it kind of starts. The water and the current. It's just that the nutrients coming in probably. Uh, mm -hmm. precipitating out of that flow and then getting exactly. caught up in a completely separate deal. Exactly. Well, probably too, if you have a river, a river is going to outflow in a low spot in the land mm -hmm. and that rift, you know, low spot probably continues under the oh, water yeah. as well. Um, I see. Okay. I thought it the was somehow that water was actually like going. sinking down and I'm like, that, no. gosh, that shouldn't happen. 
Okay, so probably the That'd nutrients are sinking down and getting caught up in a totally different uh, river system. Exactly. Very cool. It's Very so cool. cool. Uh, but yeah, I found out about this earlier this week and was like, Welp, I know what I'm doing. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what I have for you this week. Underwater rivers and lakes. It's wild. Uh, my sources were a BBC article by Richard Gray, Ocean Today by uh, NOAA, uh, PBS, and Ripley's Believe It or Not, which actually had some really solid information. <laughs> so Sweet. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, Kirk, can't wait to see what you got. You'll find out. In a world where the tiniest elements make the biggest impact, where curiosity leads to groundbreaking discoveries, it's time to dwell deeper than ever before. Welcome to Under the Microscope the podcast that zooms into the captivating world of materials and nanoscience. With each episode, you meet a scientist working in the field of materials or nanoscience. On Under the Microscope, the scientist candidly talks about their career journey, their favorite research experiment, and their three wishes to improve the world. Check out Under the Microscope on your favorite podcast app. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Rachel, mm-hmm. I need both your help and a laugh. So okay. I want you to do the following. Okay. I want you to place your tongue firmly against the roof of your mouth, like right behind your back teeth and anchor it there so you aren't tempted to cheat. Okay. Now, when you say without... like the back of my mouth or the back of my teeth, you mean the top, my, the back of my front teeth or like my top teeth yeah, or bottom stick, teeth? Yeah, basically stick your tongue to the top of your mouth so you can't move it. Okay. okay? Uh huh. And now what I want you to do is I want you to, as clearly as possible, without moving your tongue, say the following sentence. Oh, no. You are listening to the Strange by Nature podcast. You are listening to Strange by Nature podcast. I mean, not bad. Not bad. My uh, tongue definitely a really basic... moved a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it's, you, you almost can't not, right? Because it's such an right. important part of language. Uh, it's just a really basic test, but it shows... One of the many ways that tongues are important. And this oh, week, no. I want to talk about tongues. Our, and believe my poor me, search history, Kirk. Why? They are weird. <laughs> are you talking about like human so, tongues or tongues in general? All of them. All oh. of them, Rachel. <laughs> so we believe tongues evolved about 350 million years ago. Wild. So that's, that's a long time. Uh, this is, is actually so kind of tough to nail down because soft tissues like tongues often don't fossilize. Um, right. But the evolution of tongues probably occurred uh, because of a new selective pressure on animals at that time. And Rachel, I'm going to put you on the spot and listeners at home, you can play along as well. Okay. Can you guess what changed? What was the new pressure that drove the evolution of the tongue? Ooh. Something was happening about 350 million years ago. Okay. 350 million years ago. Let's see. About that point in time, wasn't it the Cambrian explosion? Or was that, or was that about when the dinosaurs started? A Cambrian explosion was, Cambrian explosion was like 500 million years ago. Oh, okay. So we have, 
Yeah. Watch is out the, for that. Because I feel like that's around the time dinosaurs started showing up. Um, well, this would be with, the uh, Carboniferous period. Carboniferous? Um, okay. Okay. So there's a lot more plants. There's more ferns and things at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, more leafy greens? Would the pressure be like the need of communication and like socialization? Oh, would, or it maybe has to do with those plants in a weird way. Like people or like animals needing to eat. Definitely not people. Flat oh, things. Okay. Well, I think you're you're honing in on Leaves? it. We believe Leaves. this is around when um, you know, tetrapods, vertebrate animals, uh started to come Coming on, on the land. land. Aha. Yeah. Well, I was thinking so about you, land, so there you go. There you go. Okay. So when you we're in, when you're in the water, like say a fish, right? You're going to use mm-hmm. suction to help you swallow food, right. and water re- works really well. You just kind of like slurp it in and pushes the food down. But air, uh, pardon the joke here, but air sucks at sucking. <laughs> <laughs> it, like it, it isn't viscous viscous enough That's to push terrible. food down, right? No, uh, not these at animals, all. These animals, it's hard to say, possibly had gills. Um, so, like, this might not be an issue, but, you know, if you had lungs, literally inhaling mm-hmm. your food can also be fatal. So, oh, yeah. not the greatest way to get food into As you. As someone who's done um, that, so, bad times. Yeah, aspirating. So, researchers uh, speculate that animals came to land, grabbed food, and then maybe carried it back to the water where they could actually swallow it. Right. And over time... Uh, those that evolved, like, and we're talking over millions like, of years here. Yeah, and I'm thinking uh, like amphibians and everything is starting off with absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. Think like think like salamanders, too, uh-huh. like starting part of their life in the water and then they're on land. We may mm-hmm. be seeing sort of a, a recreation of that, um, that development there. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that over time, those that evolved a tool in their mouths to help actually shove food down their throats uh, were able to just stay on the land. Mm-hmm. which is a big advantage because there's a lot of unexploited food on the land that no one else is eating. So, so you have more variety uh, it, for your diet if you can eat all that stuff. Exactly. And less competition. It's all about mm-hmm. exploiting areas with less competition. So it seems that both having a tongue and being terrestri- being a terrestrial vertebrate like we are mm-hmm. basically go hand in hand. They've probably almost, almost always uh, existed together, which is a pretty cool thing. Uh, and being that tongues have been around for such a very long time, it isn't any surprise that there is an incredible variety of tongues out there. And uh, Rachel, so some of many. them are just bizarre <laughs> and strange. I'm not even going to really? talk about the colors and stuff, right? Oh so, my goodness. We've, we've <laughs> talked on the show about how a salamander's tongue can be almost as long as their body. But yep. many members of the, of the amphibian class... Um, also have what's actually called um, ballistic tongues. They don't just right. stick them out like we can do, but they actually ballistically explode. Like, yeah, out of their it's mouths. like a flip thing too. Yeah, right? but not even like a flick. It, it, it's it's a it's a totally different thing that we can't even you know do. It's such an explosive burst. It's a different mechanism. There's even Wild. one. Uh, it's a salamander, I believe, where it actually goes so far out of their mouth that like the bones. Some of the bones of their, I guess you say their jaw, like come out, extend oh. out of their mouth with it. That's how far no. out of it So this isn't just no, no. sticking out your tongue fast. This is a uh-uh. whole other thing, right? That's wild. Yeah, it's 
and they're doing this to catch prey. So there's mm-hmm. all kinds of cool physics and biology at play. They actually allow those tongues to stick to and then retrieve their prey. And I mean, look, I can pick up like popcorn with my tongue or something, but that's not right. the same as not what's at going all. on with these animals. We're not effective at that, right. No. So likewise, in the retrieval category, we have woodpeckers. And mm-hmm. as a giant bird nerd, I think woodpecker tongues are <laughs> amazing. They're pretty cool. Uh, first of all, they're very long, but they have mm-hmm. these hard keratin tips that are actually barbed like a series of fishing hooks. And I think people think of woodpeckers just pecking into a tree and grabbing insects with their beaks. That's Mm-mm. what I think most people, I would, your average person probably assumes happened. Right. But the that beak is, is just there to make the hole. And then they, they put their tongue into that hole and what they're looking for when they're making these uh, holes in the tree is they're looking for tunnels that bark beetle larvae have made under the bark of the tree when they find Mm -hmm. one of these tunnels they can stick their tongue through the hole into the tunnel turn at a 90 degree angle and then dart around down in that tunnel hoping to spear a larva and pull it out which is oh my god so weird (laughs) and so super cool i didn't know that We don't assume it's going on. And if you ever, uh-huh. if you're out in the forest next time, Rachel, and you find a tree where the bark is falling off and you can see all those crazy designs, those little galleries oh, yeah. that are made by bark beetles. I'm just going to picture holes. Oof. I'm just going to picture like a, a woodpecker tongue following that tunnel. That's what they're doing, right? They're trying to find one of the intersect, one of those tunnels so they can stick their tongue down that tunnel. So, wow. Super, <laughs> super cool. Oh uh, speaking goodness. of, you know, something like that with these long tongues and, and finding food in mammals, we have anteaters mm-hmm. who also have very long tongue. Yeah. Now, when you were the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, when you were talking about the woodpecker, my brain went, oh, kind of like ant- anteaters. Exactly. And according to the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, the giant anteater has a two foot long tongue. That's one centimeters, which is pretty crazy. But whenever you talk about animals, keep in mind that that's like the record setting like someone once found one that had a two foot long tongue about mm-hmm. a foot and a half would be more average for the giant anteater but apparently that's still they can so long two feet long and we say two feet and you go yeah okay get on a tape measure sometime and measure out two feet and just ponder that that there's animals with tongues that long Yikes. my god wow so tongues have also evolved in other weird ways they probably started out helping to swallow but then in the case of the woodpecker or amphibians and anteaters, they were used in some way to help grab prey. Mm-hmm. But in snakes, they don't do that. They evolve right. to smell prey, which is so different than other animals. That snakes actually pick different. up scent molecules on their tongue. Mm-hmm. And then when they bring that tongue into their mouth, they put that, that little forked tip into two sensors in the roof of their mouth, little holes called the Jacobson's organ. And mm-hmm. it can analyze the scent molecules on their tongue. And it's so sensitive, it can actually determine if there's more scent molecules on the left tip of the tongue or the right tip of the tongue, and therefore determine the direction the smell was coming from, meaning like what direction their mm-hmm. prey is in, just based on how many molecules hit each side of their tongue. Wild. Their tiny little tongue. <laughs> That's why they're constantly flicking their tongues out as they're trying to mm-hmm. smell their environment. So uh, it, it just blows my mind that in this time that since the tongue kind of came to be in it, the tongue evolved from like muscles that were in the, in the, the mouth of fish, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they weren't, 
they, they, weren't, they weren't like a, you wouldn't recognize them as a tongue at all, right? Right. They're I not. Mean, they they're clearly there. have a use. I think they actually are used to help create some of that suction that mm. draws the water in when they're trying to feed. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that is now turned into this thing that snakes can use to detect the direction smells are coming from, right? Like. <laughs> mind blowing yeah so cool now humans we can't catch things uh with ballistic tongues we don't have barbed tongues for spearing insects thankfully uh, we don't smell with our tongues but we do use our tongues a lot yeah we and, do uh, like other other animals we use our tongues for eating and for swallowing uh and just like some other animals uh we also use it for communication mm-hmm. uh, a tongue is critical to correctly form the diverse sounds we make uh, and this is something humans have really mastered and taken to a higher level. You demonstrated that nicely at the beginning by not being able to move your tongue correctly. We can't make the sounds that sound correctly. Like we, uh. we don't just make sounds in our throats. Some animals would just kind mm-hmm. of make like a throat sound, like a tone. Um, but we use our tongue to help shape those basic notes. So the shape of our mouth makes the vowels. And then our tongue, also along with our lips, helps shape the consonants. Right. And uh, sure. We couldn't swallow food without our tongues, but I think it's really cool that they also help us communicate. They help us to have a podcast, right? Right. Tongues we couldn't do amazing. it without our tongue. <sighs> yeah. Um, I will note we also, uh, you know, tongues can be um, uh, used for other things that are arguably very important to humans too, but it's a family show, so we're going to pass on right <laughs> the last thing they can be used for. So anyways... Um, Sticking with the human tongue uh, mm-hmm. for a moment, uh, it isn't just used for swallowing, mm-hmm. uh, but also for tasting. And that shouldn't be thought of as a side thing. Like, no, taste is super, um... super important. Uh, we can, of course, taste the five basic tastes, uh, the sweet, sour, salty, bitter, and umami, uh, which is sometimes described as savoriness. Mm-hmm. But... You know, I also like to include the bonus ones, not just those five. Uh, people, some people include hot and cold as being important. And I would totally have to agree. Hot French fries taste very different than cold French fries. Right. Uh, we also have other sensations the tongue can detect, such as spiciness. Uh, and even in Love some spiciness. cuisines, not, not so much around here, but numbness is also a thing that's used uh, in hmm. foods and kind of that numb sensation. Okay. And now some people argue that those last four things are that word I just used, a sensation and not tastes. And yes, sure, if you want to break my part like that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it, they're all important nonetheless. Now, I do have to do a little side rant here. Okay, Rachel? Beautiful. Because I'm ready. some listeners will have seen this tongue map where it's like, you taste salty here and sweet here oh, and yeah, bitter yeah, here. Yeah. Right? I'm here to tell you that is complete and utter nonsense. It drive me crazy. Uh, when I worked for the Girl Scouts, we'd have uh, uh, one of the triads you would do with Brownie Girl Scouts, which they don't do anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. You would have, they, they had in there, make a taste map of your tongue and, you know, get some like, I forget where they were, but like put, uh, you know, sugar on the tip of your tongue. And it's, oh, I can taste salt and or sugary sweetness. And I'll put like salt in the side of your tongue. And I'm like, oh, I taste salty. And they had this yeah. tongue map you would use. And a lot of people have heard of that. It's totally bogus. It was made up long, long ago by this one German uh, researcher. And very quickly, like scientists were like, no, that's not how it works. But for some right. reason, it like got into pop culture. And you see all this like, oh, the tongue map, different parts of your tongue taste different mm-hmm. tastes. It's like, no, your whole tongue 
taste everything. <laughs> it's not there are There's not, not zones like specialized that taste stuff on your like tongue. taste buds or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, there are different types of receptors that can taste different things, but they're spread out over your whole tongue. It's not like right. they're concentrated in specific spots where you can only taste that. So just got to get that out of the way. Stop spreading that idea around. Stop showing <laughs> that in science classrooms. Like that image just needs to go away because it's mm -hmm. totally wrong. It's kind of like how uh, we so still anyways, believe carrots to... are, like you said, the how carrots improve your eyes. Oh, the whole carrot and night vision myth. Yeah, if you don't yeah. know that one, we talked about it. Go back, find that episode. Mm -hmm. uh, so back to the show. Uh, flavors or sensations, like uh, they're all things that we experience with our tongue uh, when we eat. And again, this that's what it really comes down to. What the tongue is doing is help us test food out to make sure it's safe to eat. Uh, things that taste bad are often toxic. That's why they taste bad to us because mm. we've learned through tr the very hard way that, you know, certain flavors uh, are going to kill us. And it's just hardwired right. into our brain. We go, ooh, that tastes bad. It's like, yeah, because things that taste like that are often poisonous. So our right. tongues in a weird way is a guardian of our bodily health, which is pretty That's cool. a wild thing to say, but I know, cool. right? And they're also really good at detecting things that are rare. So your tongue is e extra sensitive to salt and sugar and fat because mm. those are the three hardest things to find in nature and they're things that our body very badly needs so Ugh. our tongue is exquisitely sensitive to detecting them and we crave them because they're so important and of course now that we have like processed food we fill them with salt and sugar and fat in mm -hmm. enormous quantities that would never be possible uh oh. in nature and now i want french fries that's gotten us in some trouble, but that's a <laughs> subject for another episode. Mm -hmm. So uh, before I kind of wrap up, I can't really talk about the tongue without talking about saliva. So let me go through a few weird saliva facts. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty Saliva's amazing stuff. Wild. Yeah, and we could do a whole deep dive on this, but obviously mm -hmm. it lubricates the food that helps it be more easily pushed down our throat so the tongue can do its job easier. But it also has enzymes in it that actually start to break the food down. Mm -hmm. and I remember learning that in like, I don't know, middle school or high school or something and being like, but it's barely in your mouth. Like, seriously, it's about to right? dump into a vat of acid. Like, what's the point of that? I think part of that is that it has to do with how we taste food. Your The tongue itself cannot taste food without saliva so the mm. saliva those enzymes start to break down just a little bit of that food and get some of those molecules of the food into the saliva and then that can help transport those molecules into the little receptors on your tongue your your taste buds so okay. if the saliva wasn't there you basically would not be able to taste your food and as we said tasting food pretty important super right? important yeah yeah so pretty cool um Another little fun bit is that apparently uh, foods that are sour or carbonated actually increase the amount of saliva you produce and it could potentially make the food like taste stronger and okay. definitely makes it easier to swallow. There have been some research that's shown that like carbonated or sour foods are actually easier to swallow. So mm. it's kind of cool. That um, is cool. I think we are, we are, we've talked a little bit, you just, uh, well, Victoria talked recently about the shrews and how mm, uh, mm -hmm. saliva can be venomous. Um, or in the case of things like, I think Komodo dragons, things like that, they can actually yeah. be so full of like bacteria, bacteria and stuff that it breaks that basically down. they can be toxic when they mm -hmm. bite other animals and can eventually kill them. Uh, so, you know, saliva is its own thing, but they work with tongues. Uh, so, I mean, tongues, uh, really weird <laughs> and super important. So That's wild. what I got this week. What a weird topic, Kirk. 
Yeah. Uh, now I will Thanks. say, um, as I was researching a lot of this, I stumbled upon an article, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this article talks about a lot of the things I've already found. <laughs> and someone else already did a really good deep dive on this. Uh, Elizabeth mm-hmm. uh, Penisi uh, wrote a story called Tales of the Tongue in Science Magazine. I highly recommend you seek it out and check it out. She goes into greater detail too, uh, talking about how sort of perhaps even the tongue, uh, we learned how to grab things with our tongue before we learned how to have dexterity with our hands. Like basically the brains, our ability to do things like write and be so dexterous with our hands may actually be linked to the evolutionary ability of tongues to be so dexterous. Uh, She goes on a deep dive on this. It's fascinating. Highly recommend Tales of the Tongue. Check it out. It's not that long a read. Uh, But that's what I got for you this week. And Rachel, end of another great week. Oh, so great. I'm going to be thinking, I'm going to read that article actually because what? (laughs) That's why. Yeah, go check it out. Uh, yeah, well, thank happy you, Kirk. 2024, I believe, here. Should come up in 2024? I think so, yeah. We made Ooh, it. We've got another great and amazing year of stuff coming your way, and I'm oh, excited so for next exciting. week. Uh, next week is going to be... Uh, I, I already know what my yeah. topic is. It's, it's going to be weird. I know what my topic is, too. We're going to play a game, Kirk. <sighs> oh, I'll see you next week for our game, Rachel. All right. See you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.